clown Jesus. There's no point in absolutely featuring him in the movie if you're not even going to give the character any reference. They later make reference to him, but not even in as a, it doesn't matter. That's given too much away of the bullshit because you need to experience it on yourself. If you've seen Rob Zombie's 31 and you thought it was the dreadful piece of shit, which it is, this takes the cake. It actually makes that seem much more coherent. Not completely trash talking it. I it, just simply don't believe you. It had a better soundtrack. Uh, it had a definitely 100% better ending because at least it had an ending. It didn't have a midget luchador gun battle, which might sound amazing had, to you. It had a midget Hitler. It midget had bo- Hispanic Hitler. And the same, this, he's back in this luchador, satanic luchador gun battle. Again, all these things sound in your mind. There's a satanic luchador midget gun battle. They're not all midgets, but there is one midget. And he's got Day of the Dead face paint on, so that is kind of cool. But it's just... I don't know. There's no story. It's not really about anything in particular. Not completely trash talking it and giving away why it's completely awful because, again, it's going to show for one more day in October. So we'll keep some surprise, some element to this. So if you haven't seen it, you can go out and see it. Jeff Daniel Phillips is awesome. He's great in just about anything. To really, he's the only reason that this movie was bearable, and thankfully, he's in a good chunk of it. D. Wallace was atrocious. I don't know where the fuck Barry Bostick was. I didn't see him. I don't know where Chaz Bono was. I didn't see him. Um, I can't think of really anything else. Austin Stoker from Assault on Precinct 13 makes a brief appearance in the movie, which was pretty cool. That was neat. You'd even think Richard Brake, who is usually always amazing, would have been a slight, like, savory factor of this movie. And he's just Bill Mosley in the last movie. And now Bill Mosley's really tired and doesn't seem to enjoy wearing the wig and makes dog fucking jokes. Because Otis likes to fuck dogs now, I guess. Man, they really did you wrong. Look acid off my fingers. That's my Richard Brake impersonation. I like him. I loved him in Mandy. That was probably one of my favorite Richard Brakes. He does good stuff. Got a cool voice. I like to hear him talk. Was not pleasurable in Three from Hell. I found little to uh, nothing pleasurable, but I got a free poster out of it. And it's nice. It's good quality. Like somebody put a couple nickels and dimes into that, and it's uh, it's it's all right. For a movie you hated. Yeah, I'm going to frame it and put it up, whatever. I, and I'll still buy the goddamn 4K whatever, you know, because there's, to me, it seems like a lot was shot, but I'm just baffled as to how Rob has been toting and saying that it took him three years to write this. What the fuck took you three years? There's such a loose-based story that it's it's just baffling to me. There's It's not, it has nothing to do with the Devil's Rejects. It has nothing to do with these characters or them transitioning or them becoming anything. It's it's just violence for the sake of violence, and I find nothing more displeasing and annoying than that, because at least have a goddamn point. I asked for so little, and I just want a point. And I don't hate Rob Zombie. I know it comes off as, you know, fuck this guy. I don't hate him at all. I, I actually love Lords of Salem. That's my favorite Rob Zombie movie, and I think it's great. I think he's a talented dude, and I, I like him. I like him who for who he is and what, like, what type of guy he is. I like Rob Zombie. I don't give a shit about his music. But unfortunately, I am taking a big steamy dump all over his newest piece of art which I don't think he could care fucking less either about but fucking like two thumbs down anti-boner no stars anti-boner the worst review a film can get give me a boner at all there was nothing in it to give me meat Uh, I give this three bonerifics (laughs) we'll keep that as a point for the rest of the show three bonerifics 
So three from hell, not pleasing for you. I will watch it probably next month when it starts dropping on on demand and all well, that kind of stuff. Well, here's the stunning numbers. It apparently made $2 million in the three days that it's shown, so they're going to show it for one more day in October. Then the release is being postponed for sub that. I'm sure you can find it if you look for it, not suggesting to pirate or uh, you know download things illegally, but I bet it's out there. Maybe. It could be out there. You want me to do my recently seen Hank? I'm very ecstatic to talk about it with you. Uh, no, I'm not really. Okay, so last week I went to go see It Chapter 2. I knew this was coming. I just didn't know when. So I did not dislike it, and I enjoyed the first one. Um, I will say this. like I think it completes the story fairly well. I don't think it works as a movie. I think it works as one long, like, six-hour movie. Like, if you, like, watch the first one and, like, if it was, like, a TV series on Netflix, I think it would work rather well. But it's just as its own released film, and there's a lot of problems. And it's just because of just pacing and structure, there's a lot of problems. Because if you know anything about the It story, it won't go super spoiler-heavy in this, but, like... Not that we didn't do two full shows on the original It and then the remake back in the original live Death by DVD days. And I, I enjoyed that one. And basically... But those were good shows. You know the uh, the Chinese restaurant scene where the fortune cookies come to life and all You that? mean all of part two, the best, like, 45 minutes of that movie? In this film, it takes... We introduce who these people are, like... Bill Hader is a stand-up comedian. Richie's a stand-up comedian now. And he gets about a two-minute intro scene. And um, Bill gets a two-minute intro scene. And then does Richard sudden, Mazur kill himself again? Yes, he does, even though it's not Mazur. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. But basically, everybody gets their little couple-minute introduction. And then all of a sudden, we're at the Chinese restaurant, and we're ten minutes into the movie. It's like... It's just rocketing because it was already almost a three-hour movie, and I guess they wanted more showing, so they wanted to edit. So you can tell, like, dialogue and shit, we're just cutting out pages. We just got to get to the scenes. We just got to get to the thrill scenes. So what do you expect with that cast? I mean, you you got such a big cast. What do you expect? I mean, no one can really commit to filming for something for for so long. It's not even just that. It's just like, okay, there's a scene where we just start discussing Native Americans and... Its place in the world. Okay, we're not going to get too much into that. But basically, after the Chinese restaurant scene, Bill goes back to Mike's um, loft at the library that he lives in, where the fuck, and he gives him a drink. It's like literally they walk in the door, hey man, have a drink. And he talks about what he's been doing for literally about 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, Bill just starts hallucinating. He goes, yeah, I slipped you a root because this is the only way you can experience It's just like, what? And then he starts talking about Native Americans and all this other shit. It's like, hold on. Can, like, Bill come in? He hasn't seen his friend in some years. Can he sit down? Can they have a conversation for, like, a minute and a half before we start tripping drugs and before we start explaining all this expositionary shit? Can we actually have a scene in a film? You got to get to the action. Like people? No, it's just we're going. We're just going. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And that's what the whole movie feels like is we're just like 
plowing through everything to get there as fast as possible. Well, nobody wants um, to watch anything that doesn't have action in it. They want the scary, spooky, ooky clown. That's the point. You know, give me the clown. The CG stuff is really weird because it's. I heard that was. Uh, I heard that was the big problem from from most people's standpoint. That it's just CG trash. That it's all computer generated. There's no practical effects anymore. There's still some practicals, but not many. But, but like bitching about three from hell again briefly. I hope you like CG bullets. That um, Jessica Chastain experience, like, you know, the old woman comes... Yeah, that's in the trailer, actually. Yeah, but, like, when she turns into a CGI beast, quote-unquote, she has googly eyes. I'm not shitting you. It looks like... Um, it Honestly, a lot of the CG effects look like um, Rob Bottin's creations for Twilight Zone, the movie, the Joe Dante segment. Yeah, the trailer reminded me of Jennifer's body. But that's that what the, CGI. The, like, the creatures look like is the cartoon stuff that Botin did, which I like the Botin thing, but that fit that movie and what the premise of that story was in the Twilight Zone movie. And this just looks weird. It's like, why is this so goofy looking? Why is this so, like, crazy? Like, what? Why is this not, like, trying to look realistic at all? Well, it's I mean, I, cartoon. I've not seen it, but maybe just defending that as an aspect, maybe it's because it's supposed to be a clown, so they're giving it that uh, friendly feel to it to be a different level of hor- but horrifying. But, you know. like that, though. That's what I mean. It's just, like, they have googly eyes. I'm not shitting you. And it's just, like, there's some weird stuff that they played for humor that I didn't. It just seemed like they were really trying to go as fast as possible. But for a bookend to the story, they already started I think it's more than adequate I think it works well but as in itself it's not a movie it is not like a movie in itself because it it has no pace it has no arcs it has nothing it's just like it's finishing up the story we started and a lot of that's Stephen King's fault for the way he wrote the story to begin with but at least in the original TV movie version of it, um, they had flashbacks and they introduced the, uh, the you know the adult counterparts in the first end, uh, like you know the first episode if you want to call it that of the this is like the mini series where we already know who these people are. They're flashing back and it's kind of integrated better like it is in the book. And in this, you have one movie that's just kids and then all of a sudden it's a bunch of adults that I can't relate to and aren't the same characters basically anymore. And let's just get this fucking over with. And that's what it. Is. That's what it feels like. I think it would work better, honestly, if they did like a 12 hour Netflix series. And I think it would have been like perfect, but this is like we're going, we're trying to rocket through this way too quick. Well, the similarities from what you just said, John, to Three from Hell, you're given a display of characters you once thought you might know that just are absolutely nothing anymore. They're just vapid displays of screen time and nothing really matters. It's uh, Three from Hell is pointless. But you have to have, like, a reason why they've changed. You well, you need to have a point. Like, well, this is him now. You need to have a point, and, like, you know, you're painted somewhat of a picture in Three from Hell that they've been in prison. The movie takes place in 1988. Um, spoilers if you've made it this far in, but deep spoilers. Captain Spaulding is uh, executed after a 30-second scene featuring Sid Haig, and then you jump to 80-fucking-eight, and that's it. That's, oh, this is why they are the way they are. So I understand that they've been in prison, and usually uh, Rob Zombie has some sort of Manson angle and he just skipped it this time there's there's a bit of like a free the three Charlie's you know angels kind of thing but there's no point all in all there's absolutely no point and that is terrifying and upsetting that at least you could have a fucking point to something that's the what I asked for so little just have a point well I'll give it a very it chapter two a very weird rating 
as um, a continuation of the story that they've already started, I would give it about a three and a half to a four. Um, How many bonuses? It's own solo film. I would probably give it two because it's just a mess. Like character arts just aren't there. It's just a mess of stuff happening. Because How is Bill not Hader trying good? to make it. Bill Hader's fine. He's pretty good, and he does some like some interesting stuff. But it's just. He's he's Bill Hader. He's not that kid grown up. He's Bill Hader. That's the part of the problem. Is you have a McAvoy, which is I find interesting because the like the tallest child in the original It movie is Bill, and then as an adult he's like five foot five. He's, and he's like growing. the shortest adult. That's the weirdest fucking. It's like okay, so you didn't grow any as maybe he from childhood to adult. But yeah, it's just it's more of like it's kind of. I mean, we can weed more into this. It's kind of like. The problem with something like I think Endgame had the exact same problem I think Infinity War was a fully realized complete kind of story and then Endgame was just tying up loose ends and it was kind of less of a movie for it not like that story itself is just crap it's just like watching this on its own has no peaks no valleys no nothing it's just clean up so why release it as two things other than the fact that no one's sitting in the theater for six hours just start releasing this kind of shit to Netflix and streaming services if you're they do you tell a story that's just fucking long they do but the issue with that is people want more so you never just get it or it chapter two you have to have 72 things just like with game of thrones they got a story and it didn't end the way people liked it so now everybody's sassy about it welcome to being a sopranos fan you know it, shit sucks get on with it and my show it just i needed to know about this character though how much do you need to know i mean i understand completely where you're coming from with a lack of character development but with something like the character richie he was the funny character and then he grows up to become a comedian how can you fuck that up it sounds like andy machete maybe dropped the ball a little bit i don't but think char- it's his fault i think, I think it's, it's the studio well character development's an important thing uh, if you're trying to establish yourself i think maybe more of as an entire an artistic person outside of an action or a product director i think the script was flawed i think the studio got real nosy in it because they needed a, a huge hit out of it and i think that machete ended up making probably a closer to four and a half hour movie that they said this is unacceptable and we have to start chopping and we have to you're not quentin tarantino go faster and that's really the problem is just no one has time to sit down and fucking talk and establish who they are like they never feel like they're a cohesive unit until the end they're just on on their own little sub stories their little sub missions and all of a sudden the last like 45 minutes are going to come together as a team it's just bizarre I I did some uh, three from hell spoilers is it a giant fucking spider again kind of basically is the whole point of the story they all get together to get their nerdy virgin friend killed again well I mean that's in the book so and he's not a virgin he's married Oh, at least they changed it that way. At least he got laid. You know, I think they changed some other things too, which I'm okay with. I don't particularly care about any of that stuff. My issue, and even when you told me you saw it, is I just don't like the story. I don't like the original. Stephen King's got an issue in his book. That's the problem. Well, it's not even an issue. Issue is the book. I just don't like the fucking story. I I hate the way it ends. I hate the characters. I hate how they grow up. I love Tommy Lee Wallace. I love Halloween Three. He's a great guy. I do not enjoy his movie. I love fucking Ritter. He's awesome, man. I mean, Richard Mazur or Mazur or Mazur. We forgot how to say his name again. God damn it. Hey, sir. Hey, Whatever. Sir. Yeah. Uh, 
everybody's great. It's a great movie. I just don't fucking like it. It's just one of those situations where I have no reason outside of it rubs me the wrong way. And when I saw, I, I watched it with you. It was fine. I have nothing against it. I don't particularly like it. I, it just doesn't. It didn't What's do anything. Apparently wrong with the book. I mean, it's and it's Stephen King's problem when he writes is he's very good at writing nostalgia. He's very good at saying things in the sixties and fifties and seventies times that he experienced and things he could relate to as a child. But when you like, if you're going to take those child characters, like a character from um, even a character from the body or stand by me and what we're going to make a story about them in their sixties. Now he couldn't write it because it's just, he's not interested in that character. He's interested in writing children characters and teenage characters. because That's what he empathizes with the most. So when he writes adult characters, he's just terrible at it. That's part of the problem. Well, that's one of the things. He's not good at writing like real adults. Well, what worked significantly with it giving it defense, the novel and the original movie, is it was interwoven with the flashback. So whatever you dive into with the adult characters, it winds back to in a flashback that allows you to still see the childlike nature of these characters as they grow. It sounds like that this this the new the new version. I hate calling it a remake because the original was a made-for-TV series, and this is the you know kind of premier artistic film version of it. But it sounds like it truly lacks what matters, and it's these characters transitioning and how they still come together in their childlike hope and dreams to defeat evil. Like I said, I think if you sit down, like once the thing comes on DVD or streaming or whatever, and if you watch it all as one big long binge, it'll be way more enjoyable. Just the the structure of the second one, though, is just so like odd and off putting because it's not a movie. It's like it's just it's like a weird. It's like they gave you an ending. Like, oh, you gave me an ending to the movie I saw two years ago at the theater filing. Thank you, even though that one had an ending and this one doesn't really have a beginning. So it's just, I don't know. It's more of a writing exercise is the problems I have with it. It's not overall machete or any performances or any of that. It's just, it's totally kind of weird in places. But I enjoyed it overall just as a continuation to that story. Yeah, outside of Three from Hell, the only other movie I watched this week was that one Werner Herzog did about the dwarves. Uh, You've seen that one? Is that one? Even dwarves have hearts or something? <laughs> I can't remember. Even dwarves started small. That's yeah. where that's it. Well, Herzog. You got a segue. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, let you. <laughs> Let's get this into this. This is your show, you know. This you... is a long recently scene, and we'll just get into the uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight's show. And You're turning to me to get into things, and this is all you, baby. You came up with this idea. Um... It's not much of a concept here. The concept is lots of movies have been forgotten on, like, they didn't come out on DVD. They came out on VHS, and they've just disappeared. And, yes, the Blu-ray market is getting more, like, deeper and crazy about what kind of special editions are well let's rephrase that though because that's that's very like boutique labels it's the only thing putting out blu-rays at this point are boutique labels yeah you know i wear a vinegar syndrome hoodie pretty frequently and people ask all the time like what does that mean what is it and you try to explain to them most times they think it's porn and yeah a lot of these labels vinegar syndrome specifically they release a lot of old porn but on the like widespread general market like maybe you'll see some shout factory or severin at your Walmart, but for the long run, you have to hunt for these things. You have to, you know, wait for the sales and check them out and go out of your way to find them. So unless you're interested in this niche market, you're not going to find like Putney fucking Swope at Walmart. Hell no. And the niche market is 
still missing little things here. And, and that by no mean like by no means means that any of this stuff is good. It doesn't mean, well, oh, this is a classic and you're not putting out a special edition of it. Come on. No, just well, think about I think there's like a, a point that people miss that products have to be good and that's not always the point or purpose. Sometimes it's like remastering something that potentially could be lost. It's somebody's art. I mean, even if you find it in a dumpster and you, you recapture it and there's a market out there, you're just, you have to transcend on how you view and look at things. If you go into something skin deep for entertainment, pretty purposes, you're going to end up not liking a lot of things that could, for some reason, have aspects of being good. Not everything's good, but there are things inside of shit pickles that are pretty good, you know? <laughs> none of these going to be remastered anytime soon and that's kind of the point of the show was YouTube is just it's a breeding ground for VHS rips it's for people because no one cares about it's a lot the of video things. mind's eye right now you know it's fucking where you can go stare into the abyss and it'll stare back and if you know how to look if you just type in 1980s VHS rip you're going to find some weird shit you've never heard of before and the reason they are uploaded and the reason this isn't even so much piracy is because I don't think anybody even knows who owns the rights to any of these movies at this point and that's why they're not out on DVD or some other format so this is the only way to see a lot of these weird lost movies and it's kind of interesting because I think I've seen two yeah two of the movies we'll be talking about tonight I've seen before the other two I had never seen before and I tracked them down on YouTube and watched them and that's kind of the point is just bringing back weird shit that no one has ever heard of including myself for the most part including Hank including probably most of the listeners of the show have never heard of any of these fucking movies before because they're weird fringe movies that just never really made any waves came out on video died on video but they're available on youtube now so look for them i don't even know if some of these came out on video oh they came out on video because there's vhs rip you have the fbi warning before most of these and that's one of the there is a trailer on quite a few of these yeah and that's one of the things i like about the way they do the files so these people upload on youtube is they upload the entire vhs so you get kind of that vibe of you get some of the trailers you get the fbi where you get all that stuff so it my absolute transports you back to that time period my absolute favorite is when somebody's filmed something on vhs off tv so you get the commercials from 1984 or whatever else it was playing on those are always the real beefy burritos well there's actual 1980s commercial compilations on youtube as well if you just oh yeah three hours of commercials from the 80s i do but, um, pretty regularly i get hopped up on goofballs and i sit down and watch commercials well think about like one of the movies one of the trailers um, before i cannot remember the name of it and i promise i would it's some weird movie about a Jewish kid oh, growing yeah. up and wanting to, I can't remember, like, his problem started in 1950 and yeah. then born. It didn't make, I was like, oh, people made this movie. I've and the rabbi heard. seems really familiar. I couldn't place where I knew him from, but it, yeah. It's a romance. Okay, yeah. Um, the producer. He's the producer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just this very bizarre, like, late 90s, 2000s telling of life story kind of vibe. Like, those were really popular throughout the 90s. Of You know, here's a young boy's life, but this time he's Jewish. And it's basically about growing up as a Jew, and I don't really know where the area is, maybe New York, but I think it's during the 1950s, and like kind of how difficult it was to get for this character to get his own sort of person. I don't know what the fuck. It was just a weird fucking I think it's character. like a puberty coming of age. Yeah. Like, he's 
you know, learning how to become a man. And the rabbi helps him out a lot. I, well, uh, what they do cocaine, name? but he's probably in the witness relocation program. What you're, while I'm talking, you're going to get on goddamn IMDb. You're going to look up that actor, and you're going to find the title of this goddamn movie. Go to True Romance, find I mean, his name is Saul Rubinek, I think is the actor's name. Find this weird, obscure title for me. But I know anyway, exactly what he looks like. I mean, if yeah. he was standing in a police lineup, we would identify him. He's the sweaty dude from True Romance. He's just fucked to me, Bronson Pinchot. You did all the coke. I treated you like a son. You know, he directed, coming, he directed Coming Home in a Body Bag. We even know that much. <laughs> well, I actually do like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Who needs? Saul Rubinek, yeah, that's his name. Okay, Points. correct. Look at the brain on Brad. Wow. I know my actors sometimes. All right, we gotta go through. So what year do you think this is gonna be? It was like 87, 88, 89, somewhere in there. He, looked, he couldn't have done that much. He maybe did like two, three movies a year. This man works a lot. He does work a lot. He's in television. <laughs> he works a lot. Um, was it, It's not falling over backwards, was it? I don't think so. The Coral? That doesn't sound right. Hitting home? No. No. This is so exciting. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, we're in the 85. It can't be there. Sweet Liberty, Murder Sees the Light, Half a Lifetime. That's a TV movie. No, no, it's not a those. Nothing. Oh, wait, I got it. Oh, Rabbi Tiedelman and the Outside Chance of Maximilian Glick. There you go. <laughs> From 1988, the outside chance of Maximilian Glick. No fucking wonder we didn't get the title. Okay. I have never heard of this movie before. I've never seen a trailer for this movie before. And I watched it. I was like, what in the fuck is this? And then the movie that what? And then the tr- start with the title this? is bizarre in itself. It's just like, what? I guess this can segue into our first movie because what's even better is the movie that this followed was Alone in the T-Shirt uh, Zone. From no, 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 no. No, it was it? Uh, the tra- no, no, no. It was the f- uh, trailer before our first film from 1988, I guess, or 89. Butent on the Bound, uh, a movie I'd never heard of. Um, and just in the last few years, I had heard of the title. So I was like, well, I got to find what the fuck this piece of shit is because I've never seen it before. It's a terrible space movie from the 80s. It's got to be good. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of good. It's got some it's funny. It's got some play in it. It's got some okay things. And um, it's better than Star Crystal. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie based around like a pun title. So, you know, they really thought hard about what the interior of this film was going to be because I'm sure they came up with the title first how about we do i don't know mutant on the bounty anyway it is about some intergalactic space travelers from earth he's not really a mutant no he's not even really a mutant he gets mutated and they find a beam going through space they decide to with some of the like most utterly depressing dialogue in the world because they realize this guy is like they transport people in the future the future of what 2040 yeah, and, and the next, like, 30 years from now, this movie takes place. This guy was transported, I believe, in 2024 and had been in space for 27 years, somewhat knocking on uh, aliens. But 
they reference that that's what they used to do to criminals is just would send them off into space with no location, which is just the most fascinating but depressing idea of the entire movie. Like, can we go back to that? Because that's awful. That sounds that sounds like a whole movie itself. What you had a great concept with this, where, where, and then it just it panders uh, far, far from a there. movie about a fucking jazz musician who was trying to get to a intergalactic cruise ship, but his his beam guy like all fucked up, and he'd been just traveling around in space, so they decide to beam him to their spaceship and he's all fucked up and the the beaming him onto their spaceship like mutated him to where he has a phone receiver stuck in his face and a bunch of boils all over his face. But other than that, he's a really he's a pretty nice uh, saxophonist guy doing what his else Albert the, impersonation. What else did the director Robert Torrance do? I have no idea. Yeah, this this search. this wasn't really well. There's a, there was research to do, and then most of these guys that we're gonna end up talking about are a lot of stunts and FX people. Uh, we'll have some mild trivia later on. I've got trivia for the movies, but yeah, no the. I, I love the fact that the mutant throughout the entire of the movie, you get through the title "Mutant on the Bounty." That there's going to be, and it plays. It's got a it's lot aliens of aliens and some crazy shit. Well, it starts it's crazy. In, it's got this like aliens knockoff vibe, and then it starts going into the spaceball knockoff vibes, and then the mutant. He's he's not a mutant. He's just disfigured and depressed because he's fucking disfigured. And then the tech that becomes the eventual captain is this one-off like a kids in the hall reference again. Odd fucking character. We didn't even mention the great captain. Captain, a, a Hawaiian shirt wearing nothing underneath. Guy who has a heart attack after five minutes. Yeah, first five. Like, give this like great detail to like. Uh, he's an off the wall captain. You've got even the Ash Ian Holm t- style robot, which they play into weird cabaret references later. Fucking cabaret know, reference. Well, you know who plays that robot, right? It's the guy. I think it's. I can't remember his first name. The actress last name is Fleck, and he was in uh, Carnival. He was the lizard man in Carnival. Well, how about that? Yeah, and because I just watched Carnival a couple weeks ago. But anyway. So uh, you said we had no facts, and look, we, we've already laughed, we've <laughs> had facts, we've already talked about stuff and but, um, the show. Did, did you notice who one of the uh, the mob guys is, the really stupid one? It's uh, John Durbin from Warp and Dr. Caligari and Living Dead. It's, it's all like, tying together. Yeah, the skinny fella. And yeah. you've got like a cool Laurel and Hardy bit. Like there's so many different references that you can see. Like they had a good space idea here and it wasn't really marketed. The, the effects aren't even completely awful. I mean, the VHS rip that you're going to find if you find the same one. Like three did. sets maybe for the entire movie. That's well, like, it's like Star Crystal. How big is this ship? Because they keep going into different rooms, but they're all the same. Same room. Uh, also, you had um, playing the French doctor. I, I know her best from um, playing Bruce Campbell's wife in Maniac Cop, but she was also in Twin Peaks. She was the uh, she runs uh, One Eye Jacks. She's the oh, yeah. uh, madam of One Eye Jacks. Yeah, she's in it, and so look probably. At the most impressive bit of casting the, uh, the the lead hunk dude with the feathered hair you know what he was from right Kyle T. Hefner no that's um, that's the guy who played the mutant that's the I'm mutant talking, yeah I'm talking about the, it was Paul from Friday 13th part 2 well it all really comes together on death it's a bunch of weird ass actors and the movie is utterly fucking pointless because it goes nowhere. But it's basically... You have so much hope for it, too, because you get, like, three different stories because they get this mutant on board, and then there's the bad guys, and all these things meld together, and they're finally on one ship, and then it just stops. 
Yeah, it just it just kind of stopped. Like, wait a second, is this a commercial break or is this no credits? We're we're over. Well, it seems to be trying to deliver a lot of jokes and not much story because the mutant guy falls in love with a, a, a chick on the ship and they have a romance, but they get interrupted by these mob dudes who want this very important weapon. And the weapon can wipe out whatever. It's a fucking weird grenade thing. It doesn't matter. But they hijack the ship, and then they kill them and get them off the ship, and then the movie is over. Like, almost nothing happens in this movie. It's just an experience. It really is. Space jokes. It's it's like a comedy episode of Star Trek or Babylon 5. Yeah. It's just a one-off kind of goofy thing. I think my biggest disappointment is the entire time I figured there would be some payoff, because midway through, like... They're doing surgery and they're trying to they do an autopsy on the captain and then they do like semi-surgery on the mutant trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And it's decent effects. Like it seems like there's going to be some promising payoff or at least you're going to get some weird freakish gore later on. And nope, that's about it. You get some like sci-fi effects, like the equivalent of Bishop doing the uh, autopsy on the facehugger and aliens. There's not a lot. She smokes during the, uh, the surgery, you see. Yeah, I loved that. You know, and then I, they put a, a female uh, personality chip in the android, and he acts like a feminine man and does a bunch of gay jokes. See? Joke. Funny. I've always wondered that about science fiction movies, that one, you look at movies especially made in the 80s, and it's these people's vision of what the future was going to be like, and it's ridiculous what people thought it would be like. But everybody smokes. Everybody in space in recirculated air where there's no fucking oxygen. Alien. Aliens. Everybody. Like, I know it probably was written into the script. Oxygen-rich environment. It will blow the fuck up if you yeah. like anything. It, it blows my fucking mind. Like, Alien 3 makes sense. They're on a planet, so they can smoke. But I feel like they probably wrote in the smoking to Alien because they hired Harry Dean Stanton, and that comes with the territory. But it just baffles me that there's always some gritty character. And this one, the Ripley knockoff, is this overly French-accented, just to the point that it's a little annoying. Also, too, you've got a really bad audio track on not just the dub, not just this movie, but just the sound quality where it just turns into background music for a while because they knew they, they had nothing. They didn't record shit. It, it <laughs> gets a lot of that could be the VHS rip, too. I doubt anybody cared about when they were transferring this to VHS originally from the original Mastery. I still so. give this an oddly decent rating out of every... I give this a fucking three. I'll give it a solid it three. It is not bad. It, is it not made a bad me laugh title. more than anything. Like, solidly watching the movie, I had to sit down and, you know... It's kind of cute. It's got a cute little love story going on. You don't have this problem, but everybody else you know and I too have this issue. Never really sit down and watch a movie. Always popping on Facebook or checking an email or seeing what's on Instagram or whatever's happening. This made me laugh enough that I muted my phone and, and set it down and actually sat and enjoyed the movie and broke that curse of, well, I, I kind of watched the movie because I know that happens to most people. You want, you have the greatest intention to sit down and do something, but that goddamn phone, it always steals your time. Plus, see, I thought this movie would actually go somewhere, and it really doesn't. It ends up just being a just masterpiece, which is fine. It's just I don't know why you'd spend all this time, money, and energy making a space character piece. That just seems kind of a little pointless. And it's 1989, but, uh, so it's not like it's a particularly big boom for space movies at this time either. No. And what I really want, like, it made me realize that what I really want in my life is a house that has a room that is nothing but glowing fucking buttons. 
that do nothing. We don't even know what the hell they do. I miss space sets because now it's all like holograms and all this shit. No, fuck that. I just want a bunch of like what I really buttons. I recall. Well, I recall even when we initially reviewed Prometheus way, way back in the day. That was one of the things that uh, we appreciated and that I can say I liked about Covenant too is that it's still Ridley Scott manages to keep an industrial look to how space sort of looks, and it's very basic and just blinking fucking lights because that's even like uh, I can't. What's the there's a Jake Jelly Beans and Ryan Reynolds space movie Life. Yeah, that Life. They at least were in zero gravity the entire time. What I what I enjoyed about Life specifically. Specifically is, hey man, that's what the International Space Station looked like. Like, there's a little bit of fear because it's relevant to what space looked like. I only saw that movie on a flight. I was on a 24-hour fucking flight, and I had to kill some time. So I watched that and Kong, Skull Island, it's and a passable. bunch of other. I will say that about life. It was a passable film. I like Jake Jellybeans. You know, on his subject too. I, I'm way behind. I just saw Zodiac for the very first time this week. Um, way behind. You're like 13 years behind. Uh, when did David Fincher just? Be Become so bland though. It was a good movie. I have nothing oh, against it, but pretty much since the early 2000s. He's since been Fight Club, I mean, yeah. I was really just like shocked. I, I honest to God, and I do a movie podcast. Honest to God, didn't know that this was a David Fincher movie. We got to the end credits, and I was blown. Like, wow, it was just so muted and subtle, and and all the things that make David Fincher David Fincher seemed really lacking from just that experience. It was very gritty, and it looked very very nice. On but, girl too. I mean. And yeah, made the girl with the dragon tattoo in the American version. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm way behind. I'm, I'm, I'm way behind, but thankfully not on our schedule for what we're talking about tonight. I've seen all these things. If we were doing a fucking David Fincher show, I'd stop at Alien 3. The sad thing is, is it's pretty much downhill after Mutant on the Bounty. I disagree. Um, but Mutant on the Bounty, I am not as forgiving as Hank. Uh, it's a two-star movie at best. It is That's reasonable. It's some video trash. It's something to watch like um, late at night, or if you're like me and work in a video store and you've seen everything, you start pulling shit from the stacks you've never heard of, and you start watching some of the weirdest garbage in the world. It's well, that's really how all this, this becomes. I mean, it's the picks from the crypt. We're finding the very bottom of the barrel VHS because there's no video store to go to. So you come to us and here you go. And this one is pretty admirable for what it is. I mean, it is, it's put together okay. Nobody I just wish it went somewhere. Glaringly bad. Yeah, it just doesn't really go anywhere particularly. I want to know why he's got a phone stuck in his face. I understand the beam mutated at some, but why a phone? Maybe he was shot. making a call, you know, when I, it happened. I, it doesn't make any sense. It literally does not make any sense. But it's an okay movie overall. And I'll say, like, you know, it's one to definitely check out but we will go in next to um, Master Blaster what, what year was that like 87 88 1987 it's 87 and it's important because 87 was when paintball really took off as a uh, as a like you know as a sport quote unquote and it really wasn't a sport back then you didn't have the high power paintball guns you have now you had really kind of cheap paintball guns and they made several movies about um, the, the hobby that was going on around the time even Reagan went out was into paintball they did tag the assassination game they did um oh god there's at least one more that i'm not remembering right now but you're really big on paintball movies oh yes i i I curate them off were you you a paintballer back in the day i did 
No, I've never played paintball. I could give a fuck less. I've never but, paintballed. Um, I've always wanted to paintball. This movie made me want to paintball even more because this is like the most exciting movie that nothing happens for for 55 minutes ever. But, um, you know, it's funny. It's the guy that fucking directed it, Glenn Wilder. Stuntman. Yeah, not just a stuntman, but like 130 credits under his name, did some incredibly prolific movies, worked with guys like James Cameron, and for such a, a massive, massive career, nothing, not, not even like three good stunts in this movie. There's some brief... <laughs> Like it's a movie some about terrible paintball. fight scenes. Yeah, it, it's about paintball, and he gets some brief karate. And I gotta say, when I saw who fucking directed it, it, that was a little bit of a kick in the dick for me. That I was hoping that there was gonna be some, I don't know, sets being broken, tumbling, explosion. But it's for a movie about paintball. I've seen. It's got some stuff. I had seen Master Blaster before because I was always interested in this film due to the uh, the video box and the video boxes. Fucking bizarre! It's one of my favorite video boxes. Of it all looks time. like it's, an old GI Joe advert. It's a guy in kind of paintball fatigues with the goggles on, and he's holding a gun, like a pistol. But the pistol isn't a pistol; it's a woman bent and shaped like a pistol. It's really fucking weird looking. I never understood what this movie was. I guess that's about. supposed to be like the, the red herring that it's all because of the female cop. I, oh God. I, I'll give it this. It's ludicrous where this movie goes. It, it's ludicrous, but it's it's got so many red herrings, you actually are somewhat surprised by the time it gets to the end, and you get the greatest delivery from the best villain speech ever. Yeah, I killed them all. The black guy, Lisa, with the great tits. I killed them all, all because of that I killed cop. Snake. I killed that wasp snake. No, no, it's even better. I killed Snake, that crazy Cuban snake. Yeah, and this movie has a surplus of characters named after stereotypes. Uh, well, you've got a lot of stereotypes, but you've got Hawk and you've got Snake, and why they always go with the same names. You never get like Buffalo or Giraffe. It's always like Snake or Hawk or, or Scorpion, but um, neither of the characters deserve the name. Hawk is your leading guy here a former Vietnam vet who saw too much action. This character is hysterical to me because they build the sympathetic art that you're supposed to feel really bad for this guy. All I did was I got attacked by this little girl to Vietnam Village, so I waste their entire fucking family <laughs> and then they kick me out of the army like I'm the bad guy. Yeah, it's like this is whole scene. Like, well, what? Why'd you go crazy? Why'd you get kicked out of All the military? she did was stab I killed some children. <laughs> Jesus. I killed the child and then her parents got all mad at me for killing her, so I killed them too. So they kicked me out of the army. And it's like sad violins are fucking playing. He's holding this woman and petting her hair and then she tells the story that's as bad. Well, my partner got his face shot off because I froze during a robbery. He's gay, by the way. Life's a bitch. And it runs just like that. They even There's an African-American character who they literally list off at the end of the movie. The black guy. I killed him, too. It's fucking... I think it was just in the script that way. I think they didn't even have names for the characters. It's just like, okay. Oh, no, he does. Lincoln Shakir. It's Lincoln oh. Shakir, and he was played by Raymond Fortune. Just to let everyone know, the black guy had a fucking name, and it was Lincoln Shakir. Shakir. That's his yeah. name. I'll yeah, no. of you. Um, but we need to discuss the, what the plot is, because yeah. it's a bunch of, like, master blasters. We had I guess it's a national organization, and they all get invited for a paintball tournament at this specific place, and um, they're all the it's the final right? country yeah, it's the final for $50,000 and they encounter some rednecks at a bar which are some major red herrings and Hog just beats the 
shit out of them. And you have that um, weird assassination by the big Italian guy at the very beginning of the movie that just is like, I, I guess he kills people for real. Okay. Oh, they have the Japanese guy who's always bowing, and they play the whoa, the Japanese fucking foreign music every time he's on the screen. He carries a sword with him. Um, we, we're really delving deep into stereotypes. And you have the rock star. Uh, you have the rednecks who like to drink. I didn't beer. pick up that he was a rock star until like midway through the movie because to emphasize he's a rock star, whenever this character comes on screen, they just play guitar solos, and he's got a kick-ass mullet. It is eighty-seven, but uh, they they do a good like. Four or five minutes is the Demon Wind, too. I might be wrong about that. Yes, yes, it is. It's the guy from fucking Demon Wind. Blonde from Demon Wind. That was a guess on my end. No, it, it, it is 100% Blonde Mullet from Demon Wind. But they do a good, like, character exposition of everybody sitting around and the, the, the judge introduces everyone. And it's awful. Like, steak. He's the crazy human. And, and, and that's literally... Hog. This yeah. is hot. He was in the military, he killed plenty of people, and now he's crazy. <laughs> and they just make up random, like, he was in the Mekang Delta. Like, I don't know if the places you're mentioning are places or not. You're trying to say something, I get it. But uh, this guy's a real hitman for the Italian mafia. Or no, he works for some rich Italian gentleman, and they do a wink and nod. She's a real police officer, and they just go through all these stereotypes, and then it turns still. This is maybe, like, 25 minutes into the movie, and you've got another 15 to 20 before another goddamn thing happens because they haven't even started the contest yet. What I do find interesting about it, though, is when you're going into a paintball thing that's going to turn into a, you know, the contestants actually start dying thing, you assume that it's going to be someone's replacing the, the paint pellets with real bullets. That never happens. It's like a slasher movie. It's more well, like a slasher movie than it is like a like a combat movie or it action. It goes through film. all these really weird exercises to build everything up almost as red herrings. Like, okay, you thought this was going to be a survival in the woods, rednecks run amok movie, but now it's going to be a shoot 'em up. Who knows what's happening? Wait, no, it's a slasher. Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah, but most of the kills are off screen too, and it's weird because like you've got this great setting, you've got great weapons, and little to no gore, which was a little bit shocking for me because even the title Master Blaster, you think there's going to be somebody getting blasted, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you have like, kind of like maybe one or two gun deaths. You have uh, a lot of knife fight scenes. Got a weird acid. People death. getting hung and choked and stuff like that, but mostly it's like it ends up being like weird slasher kills because it's like a, a POV or a guy that you just see their hand Even off. the shower it's, kill, Lisa, yeah, the great Shower kill, for Christ's sakes. Well, not even just that. I mean, it's like a sleepaway camp shower kill that the showers cut through and the killer peeks in, which I think is hysterical. Spoilers right here. You find out that the killer is a gay man. That's why it was brought up so early onto the movie that the cop's partner was gay. I guess they just had to throw that in there. But he makes the weirdest comment. Yeah, I killed Tina with the nice tits. And like, so there's just this, and she did. The actress had wonderful breasts. So I guess there was just an appreciation uh, in the script. For the uh, the chesty actions. What was it? Was it Lonnie? Was that the, his partner's name? Or it was no, like, everybody. He kept, uh, he kept he saying might, it over. My Lonnie, yeah. my Larry. Oh my god, I, it might have been yeah. Lonnie. Yeah, it was it's an like L name. Lonnie or Larry? Because so that's the whole. Twitter 
switcheroo, switcheroo at the end of the movie because they don't know if it's Hawk or if it's the lead judge. So Hawk artfully says, what about that slut cop that killed your Lonnie or whatever the guy's name is? And he flips out and turns around, which it's like a <laughs> David Lynch back with a fucking wooden stake from a paintball. No, he gets it in the throat. He, he yeah. goes for the gun and gets the, the wooden stake in the that, throat. But yeah. it is a like David Lynch level of overacting that is, is to me... On the, by the last 15 minutes of this movie are so pleasurable it makes up for the 20 minutes you watched of actual paintballing because they show the contest like it's you see almost every character get disqualified by another character in this paintball contest they shot all of that so I'm not showing you paint on my pinga <laughs> yeah they keep saying it over and over and over again. there's a lot of quotability in this movie but again it's pretty rough it's pretty, it gets kind of racist at times. It gets a little like uh, the rednecks are always going after the black guy and, oh, I shot that. Oh, I mean, that black gentleman. It's like, oh my God. It's a really inappropriate watermelon joke, too. Yeah. But it's the characters all try to come it's together. Yeah. Shit. I, I still love just the, the greatest line of dialogue. Yeah, I killed everyone. The black guy. No, I can't even give him a fucking name. Like 20 minutes black beforehand. Guy. Yeah. What writing? This it, it's got its own. Miraculously, Hawk has the money. He found the fifty grand. Just like, are you gonna help me spin this girl with the nice tits? And she, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. And they start making out, even though there really wasn't that much chemistry between them. There wasn't much of a love story going on here or anything. It's just like, yeah, sure. Well, again, it's where this tries to pander to so many different angles because they drop that romance plot like midway through, right when all the action's about to start, and you think they're going to come back to it, but these characters have little to no more interaction outside of, so you killed some innocent people because they attacked you. That, I guess, makes sense. I let my partner get shot. We should fuck. <laughs> I think I'm falling for this self-admitted baby killer. He's really doing it for me. I don't know. The, the, the seven-year-old came at me, so her parents had to kill them, too. Sounds like the words of a fucking raging psychopath, but all right. That's your lead, folks. That is your lead. Jeff Moldovan in the lead, the angry psychopath. And he was also in uh, the Charles Band film Oblivion. That's where yeah. I recognized him from. I was like, oh, shit, he's that dude. He's the cowboy guy from Oblivion. And all these people were like, that's the thing about especially small movies. I believe we talked about last week with the uh, Scream Queens when you have, like, the David Dakota movies and the Fred Owen Ray stuff and all these like B movies that were coming around the same time, all these actors and producers and directors kind of intermingled and they're all kind of showing up in the same stuff because they were working in crazy shit. So there the pool wasn't very large. Now the pool is fucking huge. Well, it's like even I mentioned like Hollywood chainsaw hookers. If you look closely at the set, it's the set from vamp, which was a pretty major budget art film. So all these people, whether they had hands in big pockets or small pockets at one form, or one time or another had their hand in each other's pocket. You know, big circle jerk of friendship. A big circle jerk of friendship. Yeah, essentially. I mean, that's what it is. Everybody whacking each other off. I want a card for my birthday. 
a big circle jerk of friendship death by DVD I'm glad we could be part of this big circle jerk of friendship thanks well, pal the circle jerk even gets deeper going into one of our other movies later on because some of the guys we mentioned on last week's show even tie into this one uh, uh, but like Master Blaster I think is for video store trash like it is I think it's perfectly acceptable again I would probably go with two uh, because it's kind of a terrible movie but it's some of the performances didn't really take it off but this is my ideal shit film uh, we haven't rated the boner points I mean no. does, this, does this give you a boner I, I got no boners but I would give it a two stars <laughs> I got half a chubby, and I'd agree with two, mainly because it takes so long for anything to happen. It yeah, really there's a there's a paintball tournament for a good twenty minutes of the movie, and if you want to skip through, you're not missing anything. It does have an awesome theme song at the beginning, though. Oh, it's got the tightest theme song. It is. <laughs> it is bringing that term back. Remember when kids said that in the late two thousands? Tight. That's tight. It's tight. I'm bringing it back. It's gonna happen again. Tight and thick. They're my terms. But this is the only movie I think that had the best, well produced theme song. That was an era I missed. Everything that had a better, everything that had a composed theme song was always, you know, a better franchise movie. I feel you could really get behind something that they hired people to sing in. Uh, yeah, I mean, like overall, though, this movie was like when I look for video store trash. I'm more of an '80s person personally. Um, when you get into the, well, I mean, like when you get get into the '90s and you have direct to video trash, there's a uh, company called Action International Pictures, and they put out a lot of bullshit. It was basically it was um, all that David really Pryor. It's David Pryor's company, so like if you're into David Pryor films like Deadly Games and shit like that, but I mean, they're all pretty generic. They well, have a lot of sci-fi stuff, a lot of Billy Blanks action movies. I'm not into that stuff. I'm into 80s versions of that stuff. Personally. Well, some people might remember, but these were pretty much the, the Cinemax specials, you know, because you would get from like 9 o'clock to 11, like Taxi Cab Confessions, and then maybe like a dirtier movie, and then those Roger Corman knockoffs would play, and then you'd start getting these action movies until around 6 in the morning until something like The Fifth Element came on. So if you were used to staying up completely and utterly bored late at night, you went through this fucking ringer and every now and again, you would find something like Master Blaster out of the 30, 40, 90s AIP movies that were just shoved down your throat and it would stick out. This was my first time seeing the movie and it sticks out. Like, I will show somebody this. I'll end up watching it again for some unknown reason. Carol with the big tits. Um... But yeah, I like Don't overall. She's got it's, it's worth a watch. I personally think it's it's worth at least a little bit of a watch. If you have made it fifty eight minutes into the show and you're not gonna watch Master Blaster, you're an asshole. Death by DVD will return after a word from this scream queen. I'm Linnea. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. I got this excited. This is going to be <laughs> the best thing I've ever don't seen. Don't get it's got too excited. Yeah, don't, don't. I'm setting you up to not go through this emotional roller coaster. This is no she, like we talked about a few weeks ago. It does not well, go into like, these territories, but it's got less Claypool in it. Like Steve Wang, I mean, some of the things you might like, he like sculpted the Gilman suit from uh, Monster Squad. That's one of the more famous things he did. He did a lot he of He worked on Predator. 
and directed the guy where he worked on Predator. He's a very talented special effects sculptor and artist. This also had evil Ted Smith in it, who again, too, Avera, all of these guys, incredibly talented people. Johnny Seiko is a, an effects guy. He worked on The Giver, was also in The Giver. We talked about Cleve Hall a week, a few weeks ago. Again, another incredible uh, effects guy. Ken Hall's, uh, I think, older brother? I think he's the older brother. Yeah, um, but... What's interesting about this movie is it was shot on Super 8 and it was Steve Wang's just like fucking around project. Well, but didn't they shoot it like like pretty wasn't it shot on um extra footage from Giver but beforehand like before Giver came out that no, they no, already no, had no, the no. extra footage and shot no, this it was shot weekend. before the Giver completely. This is something he was dicking around with on weekends with just film he purchased himself I'm pretty uh, sure. I don't well, they, they started this as a, a friend project in the 80s, and this essentially is almost a remake of a, a previous movie he'd made with friends. But I thought for some reason that he'd filmed it with extra footage already allotted from the Giver uh, before the movie was made on the weekend. film, like the short ends from the Giver? I don't know if they were. It's like, definitely before Giver. It's very much yeah. before. But you never know what you read on the internet, you know? I might be completely wrong about it, though. I just know generally... Oh, no, you're probably right. I'm saying I'm fucking wrong. Like, it's generally just a movie, like, because it's just friends. I mean, one of the actors in the movie is fucking Les Claypool. I don't know why he's in it. I guess he knew Steve Wang in the past. One of the guys is the bully from... um, Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell. Yeah, it's Ox from Saved by the Bell. Uh, It it took me forever the entire movie until he takes off the wig because this character dresses and uh, appears to... He's a white man. Yeah. He dresses like Bruce Lee. Like Bruce Lee. So the whole movie, it threw me off until he finally had the, uh, the bleach blonde hair and my childhood came back to me. It, this out of everything, we use this term so lightly, but goddamned if this isn't a fun movie, but it is incredibly nonsensical. It is nonsensical, and it's like a lot of it is, like I said, they're recycled special effects for the most part. And it's um, a parody of its entire, not just genre, but of a multi-genre parody. Like, it's a parody of a parody of a it's parody. It's a parody of, like, kung fu movies. It's a parody of quest movies. It's a parody of Western movies, things. action movies. It's uh, mystical movies, sword and sorcery. It's just a parody of a parody of a parody of a parody. Like it has a um, it has a mask from Hell Comes to Frogtown. They use they use, like the the bamboo man is from a movie called The Jitters um, that was made a few years before this. Um, the amazing evil Ted Smith, who also is the uh, Meta Spartan, who I loved. I love the Meta Spartan. We'll get into the Meta Spartan soon, but I mean, like the, a lot of the special effects are kind of recycled, um, and you can tell it's a lot of dicking around because there's not like high production. Like the makeup and stuff all looks great, but the, like the production is not huge. You can tell they're at mostly in Griffith Park shooting footage and just playing around, and so it's funny. I will admit to that. Like it's got some really funny stuff, and it's got some really funny jokes. If martial art films specifically don't appeal to you in any form whatsoever. You'll have zero no Yeah you'll hate this I mean cause you've gotta At least have some like Passion for Run Run Shaw movies Or 70s martial arts movies To get a, a vibe At all to this Cause that's really What the major parody is here and I mean the lead character's name Is what Chen Chow Main I can't remember But they're all it's like something That's the level of jokes In this They're all very like Easy jokes And very cheap jokes But My Big problem with this movie when I tried to watch this, because I bought this on videotape in the early 90s. I had a video cassette of this, and I watched it, and I don't didn't, like, remember liking it that much. It's like, I bet this movie's going to be awesome. And then I watched it, and I'm like, I didn't like that that much. I didn't watch it again until just recently, and it took me three sits to get through it. 
And I think the problem is it's I, so I did it in goddamn goddamn long. It's so, it's an hour and like forty five minutes, and scenes just play on forever. Because at the end, when you have that like kind of almost Ray Harryhausen battle of the giant two giant statues, the special effects. I mean, some of the miniature work they did is not great because when you're shooting in the ocean, you can't make yourself look any bigger next to the ocean. You can't shrink the way the ocean. Looks you can next. try, and they did, and they did, and then sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But overall, that big fight with the two giant statues goes on for like ten full minutes it just keeps going and going it just needs a lot of editing it needs to tighten up a lot of scenes like when um ox or saved by the bill gets kidnapped and gets tied to a tree and the the fucking bamboo man's men fuck with him that scene goes on for like 15 minutes and there's just no new information it's just like here's a joke here's a joke a lot of the comical timing sort of pans out at that point too that like you get into this cool sequence with Cleve Hall where he plays this old wise man and it runs almost like a three stooges shtick but uh, you know like an evil dead piece too at the same time like something Sam Raimi could have done it's very funny and it's very basic level of humor that works it's fart jokes for Christ's sakes and then the like method of that comedy just drops from the rest of the movie and it goes somewhat somber and tries to follow this actual kung fu story heroic art and it just loses its touch and then you've got less playful just being ridiculous like the whole concept is a short it's about 45 minutes of material that they stretch out to an hour and 45 minutes and that's really the problem I have with it it's just it just goes for so long scenes play on forever do we have to have another kung fu fight scene for people who are not professional fighters that is not very well choreographed yeah you've got Les Claypool as the sheriff of Chingwa County in a kung fu movie and he doesn't at least punch somebody in the face I was a little bummed out I didn't get to see Les Claypool actually kung fu fight he could have at least like somebody taught him how to karate kick but yeah it's just it's a lot of that it's a lot of like unprofessional stuff going which is fine I understand what they had to work with and stuff and I understand the joke is just we can't dwell on this shit as long as you want to you need to edit this stuff you need to like cut it down it's just it's a very long sit and the humor is kind of so juvenile at times that even when I was a kid, I didn't think it was that funny. It's not just because I'm an old man now to where I just like, oh, this isn't funny well, anymore. It wasn't you know, funny like to I me just then. Said, the humor runs out. It's very brief. Like you, you have, drags. yeah, you have a very brief amount of humor, and then they just stop writing jokes, and it drags. It just goes so. It's not like it goes downhill. It just becomes very placid and stays at the same pace until you get this. And I'll agree, very long, ridiculous, uh, giant rock man fight. And then, Which is cool, but he could have gone five minutes and he could have wrapped it up, but it goes like ten solid minutes. Well, even the ending after that where they're somberly uh, mourning the loss of Johnny Seiko's character Repo and he climbs out of the sand and comes behind him, that goes on for like five fucking minutes. Okay, he's not dead. We get it. Comical buddy comedy. Everything ends and it just goes. But all in all, I mean, again, too, I guess we're like wrapping up the same ratings for everything. I'll give it a two. I would give it a, generally a two, a one and a half to a two, just because it's it was one of my harder sits. It was probably the hardest sit I had for this entire show, just because of how long it drags on. And as you were talking about, like like putting the phone away for mutant on the bounty, this is this is a pick up the phone movie, yeah. Because maybe just going that's on and on. 
that might have been how I made it through this uh, so quickly is that I spent a lot of my time on my phone and took some smoke breaks. It's funny, though. I gave three from hell um, an anti-boner and zero stars, but I'm going to give this two fucking stars, mainly because I really like Johnny Seiko and it's fun watching people that you admired growing up again. It's fun movie. Everyone in this movie is talented as shit. They're oh, just yeah. talented at making kung fu movies. <laughs> I, mean, well, that's really I, I don't even know if that's so much the point. Like, I mean, some of the characters' names even are, are just funny for their own sake of being funny. Like Rasp Mutant, the rat Mad Monk. Like, there's just it's funny yeah. for the sake of being. But you can really tell it's just kind of it was a general walkthrough idea that they. Well, they shot it on happened. weekends in between projects. So I mean, most of these guys were all working together one way or another I, how Les Claypool got thrown into the mix is, is a good story we probably should have figured maybe uh, maybe we'll ask Cleve Hall or Johnny Seiko one of these days because those guys are pretty easy to get in contact with and figure it out but um, in total it's just kind of bizarre because nothing happens again like the last two movies it just kind of ends but uh, more than anything I think just drawing a spotlight on something like Come Through Rascals is the importance of shows like this it's just like hey this is out there I mean if you're into this sort of thing if you want to see Les Claypool act like a fucking weirdo if you want to just see something you've never even heard of or never knew existed this is the kind of shit that's actually available well you um, gotta like remember that some like I hate to fucking bring up Blade Runner but these things get lost forever Yes. There are there are movies that just people filmed, shot, worked on that will be lost forever and thrown into a dumpster as a building is cleaned out and will never be seen again. So from a standpoint of not even exploitation or trying to find weird fucked up movies, there's something charming about being able to find things like this just to experience it and having seen it, if that's your bag. I mean, if that's what you're into, obviously we are. But you experience and you just, this is just a weird piece of 1992. This was something that happened and all of these people, a hundred plus people got together, worked on for weekends and weekends and weekends and share this experience. It's kind of, I don't know. It's just kind of charming to watch it and to experience it. And I would like almost like a digital of this movie because it looks like dog shit. And I don't think it's, I mean, the film with they're the using effects, is not great. That was one um, of my thoughts while watching this is with the effects guys that were all behind this and looking at some of the scenes, there's obviously a lot of stuff that was shot to look really, really cool. But there are some scenes that are lit so poorly you can't tell what's going on that like. It's, it's due to the know. film itself, the film that they use. And it's just like some of it's overexposed, some of it's underexposed. So it's just like it really needs like some digital cleanup because a lot of it is just digital interference at this point for it to be transferred to transfer to transfer and it's just really hard to tell what's going on a lot of the time because it looks like almost looks like um when somebody set up their uh, own home vhs camcorder to record super 8 footage that had a uh, in a, on a screen in their living room is what it actually looks like and then they dubbed over it so it just looks like shit does anyone out there in Radio Land know David Gregory or someone from Vinegar Syndrome? Tell them about <laughs> Kung Fu Rascals. Tell them to YouTube this movie. We'd like it to be uh, remastered. We'll do the commentary for free. <laughs> we'll do it for completely free in... I don't know funny. if they're going to invite us in to where I'm like 50 minutes in going, oh my God, I'm so bored. The fuck is this? Why is this continuing on like this? I might need worse. another sword fight scene. You know you've heard worse commentary, so have I. <laughs> uh, Adam Green, are you anywhere? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. So the last movie on the list, I think, is my favorite. The worst one, but you loved it. 
I, I love it is a, a strong statement. It just made me think. None of the other movies made me think, which is a hard thing to do with all the goofballs I'm hopped up on and all the booze and being wet-grained and everything. But uh, This movie is such a mess, though. It's such oh, a no, mess yeah. of ideas that go nowhere. And the movie... Um, I'm, uh, it has a purpose, purpose, I think. It's a movie called Alone in the T-Shirt Zone. It was directed by what Mike Landison, who went on to be like a um, producer and director of The Simpsons. Um, he made a movie that we'll probably be bringing up on one of these shows in the future called Chameleons. Um, he's done some like weird shit. He's like he's more of a like all the live action films he does. Well, he was like a golden era Simpsons guy too, like the Conan O'Brien era Simpsons, and did a lot of like the more Still off and on with them. Yeah, I think he uh, worked on the movie at least. But what's funny is going into the movie with that little bit of knowledge you would expect maybe similar aspects of humor and there's absolutely none to the point that I don't think this movie had any intentional humor in it and was branded the poster art's very very odd it makes sense in the long run but I think it's, it's branded as a sex comedy that's yeah, really it, what they're going for is it's it's certainly is not. it is not a sex comedy <laughs> no, this, this, all. This really it really oddly rem- I'll get into this whole art well, thing it kind of reminded um, me of something else but yeah sorry it feels a lot like um, they're like not fully into the rinse dream type of, of filmmaking, but it feels like they're kind of appropriating a little bit of that or making like kind of bizarre casting choices and just the way people recite dog is kind of weird at times and just the form. Well, there's a lot of non-actors in this movie. A lot of the people reciting and like that end up being, I wouldn't say lead characters, but people that appear in the movie more often than others, they're just not actors. I mean, there's even a drug dealer scene where the guy doesn't even know what to fucking say. <laughs> well, the movie is about, like, it, it's mostly told in a flashback, but it's about to not even beat around the bush of flashbacks and all this other shit. It's about a guy who's in a sane asylum who used to work for a t-shirt company where he designed the logos for their stupid shirts that, like, mountain climbers do it with their spikes on like the 80s fad of t-shirt sayings and he designs those for a living and apparently his girlfriend dumped him so not only did we get into the niche market of paintball movies tonight we're in the very bizarre market of the rapid world of t-shirt designs and um his girlfriend gave him the saying of um was foxy lady foxy lady and it became a huge hit and she stole all the money from it and left him and that's why he's kind of an insufferable prick and why he eventually goes insane because he goes on like a weird rapey style quest of where he puts a baby t-shirt over his head and uses it after he's drugged with lsd oh yeah He's to drunk. rip off the shirt of, of women who, uh, who wear the foxy lady t-shirt. He always tears it off of them, and it's it's this horrible thing that's going on in the town, and it's all these women are having their shirts ripped off. But even your description with well, what you just said makes it sound like it almost has like a, a slasher or thriller killer exploitation aspect to it. This movie is like somebody sat and watched David Lynch a lot and then just made this. I draw a really weird comparison, though, to a movie called Red fucking desert from 1964 by um, Michelangelo and, yeah no it, it's this is a bizarre reference and uh, I'll eat shit for this later on this movie's by a guy named Michelangelo Antonioni it's a uh, it's a new wave art piece it's an Italian art piece but it's about this woman who is just very unstable 
and is completely alone. She can't come to terms with dealing with her loneliness and doesn't really break. She eventually just realizes, you know, we're, we're all very lonely. Like I said, it's a very long Italian art thing. But I couldn't help but think about it while watching this because the entire point of Alone in the T-Shirt Zone is, is even in the title, Alone in the T-Shirt Zone. This person is completely what I feel was this art piece behind it <clears throat> to explain, rather, is this guy that was just completely... And absolutely alone. And the whole point of the movie is like this almost eraser head example of being lost in yourself and growing and not being able to grow with things and deal past things. But instead, for the most part, it's it reminded me a little too of Winter Beast with this just very over the top <laughs> performance of absolute fucking goofy Italian characters. art and Winter Beast. It's a mix between those two. Well, that's the thing. You have to be able to see everything to make an apt reference on something that's absolute garbage. But trying to give some credit to the point behind the movie, I give you this incredibly odd Italian. I wouldn't say odd. This is it's, it's a very famous fucking movie. So Red Desert, if you want to cry for a little bit, enjoy that. And then Winter Beast. But I mean more in the aspect of how over the top and like you were referencing earlier, these non-actors that are just there reciting their lines. That's most of the movie. And it's in this T-shirt fact. So everything we've talked about in this, oh, this character is learning who he is and he's lost and he's depressed. Fucking none of this shows up. You have somebody struggling to somebody with an antisocial behavior disorder trying to fucking get through their day and not be able to get this thing out of their mind. And then they go to a party and do too many drugs and freak out. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens because he wants to get away from his job. He misses all the time. His boss says, "You can't miss anymore. I've done. I've been so good to you. I'm paying you three dollars an hour. What the fuck is paying him?" And he like, three dollars and twenty five cents an hour. But he also he he has a lot of issues. Like there's a female employee that has come on to him multiple times that he has rejected, but she makes it appear that he comes on to him that he's a creep, that he's a pervert. And I guess this is where the uh, sex comedy aspect might play into things if you try to look at it from that angle. But his life generally sucks. Like you get this display that this dude has a very hard time and he needs somebody to just cut him a little bit of slack and they won't. But instead of using that to drive the movie, it's like fuck it, t-shirts. And then there's a ten minute scene of this guy feverishly getting a hand job and then happily watching t-shirts getting made yeah well i mean there's a, like the, the directions it goes because he makes this friend the friend takes him out to a party and it's everybody he works with this weird fucking 40 year old guy in a van halen t-shirt yeah and he gets like a fed a bunch of lsd that he didn't want and a bunch of women like come on to him and it makes him freak out and he just doesn't know how to deal with any of this and what's weird about this movie is i'm going to just call what it is it's meandering bullshit it's a concept of a guy who's losing his mind and if you were doing it as a sex comedy as advertised which i doubt that had anything to do with the actual filmmaker to me it appeals to more like it's got that more of a like second year art student feel you know like there's yeah it sucks and, you know, I guess we'll just say it as insultingly as possible. It just feels like maybe you're a sophomore at NYU and you've seen a couple of Fellini movies and you're trying to make something unique in Generation X because it's got that whole anti-corporate saying suck vibe to it. Like, you know that there's this message of slaving away for the man doesn't work. You got to be free. Like the boss at one point puts it's on these. It's self-important, if anything. I find it to be self-important. I mean, Well, you got like when the boss puts on those motivational tapes 
and everybody has to listen to them. And it's like this 1984 speech of being more productive in the workplace. Like it tries to push you in different directions to evoke an emotion, but it doesn't spend enough time to do it on anything. Like, is this an anti-establishment movie? Is this a not fitting in movie? Is this a romance movie? Is this a light comedy? It goes into all these directions and then suddenly it's, he's freaked out. And I mean, did we even bring up the fact that the movie begins with him being completely catatonic and fucked by his therapist? And then they never go back to that. What? What? What happened there? What's going on with... There's so much stuff. So you have 90 minutes. Yeah, there's just all this stuff shoved into one big ball. And every time it starts to get interesting, the ball just turns a little bit more and we lose that point. Like, he was getting fucked by his therapist. Now he's mad about t-shirts. Now he's doing acid. What's what's going on here? We got to have a point. This is like three from hell. If you don't have a fucking point, what was your point? Why'd you do it? It just seems like he was trying to push it towards sort of a comic thing but it don't really say something See, I don't take not. it as comic I took it as more but of this like that's what I'm I'm saying. Artist, you know? I think he failed on the, the comedy of it more than anything and that makes it become very self important well just even like the, the fact that he's ripping off the foxy girl t-shirt I think that's supposed to be very kind of cheeky and ironic and like a kind of a comment on the uh, the 80s and all this stuff and it's supposed to be somewhat humorous not slapstick titty comedy humorous but just humorous as like kind of an art film and all the jokes fall fucking flat Everything well I mean it's an observational standpoint where you have to put yourself in this character's shoes but they give you no opportunity to even relate to the person or even form uh, until what midway through the movie why he is the way he is it's not like it's established his girlfriend did this blah 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 you just deal with this guy that seems really upset with a t-shirt for half the movie and it's that's not enough for me to give a shit about anything so he's upset about this t-shirt why and then it breaks down I mean you're at the party sequence finally where somebody says well his girlfriend did this 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 and this and you get your final realization of this character's arc and the movie ends so it's pointless essentially it's a very pointless movie i hate saying something has no point even though i've done it multiple times tonight but it's just pointless what it really ultimately feels like to me it feels like a movie that trauma would have bought in the um the early 80s it feels like a movie like um hollywood zap there's not enough violence tv terrorists one of those kind of very like we're making an art film but we're making a satirical art film and we're trying there to needed to be like more nudity or violence for any sort of something it needed something that wasn't just like up its own ass like trying to discuss an issue almost but it's just like we're gonna be kind of weird about it but you're not really being that weird at all about it and uh, the movie also like there's a lot of just weird exposition shots of stuff going on and that's kind of what made me think of the red desert because most of that movie is filmed in like industrial parts of italy so the movie is a lot of industrial complexes and and just smokestacks and really bitter weird long shots and this movie just has this like hey let's do 30 seconds on this door somebody couldn't get in the door so we're just gonna film it for 30 seconds to let you know how lonely it is and i get it that's the point it's about being lonely and alienated and isolated not being able to relate to people and being so hurt over something you can't get over it but god damn you could have said it some other way instead of showing me 30 seconds of somebody not being able to get into a door yeah, and just think overall, it's just a, a mess movie. Because, I mean, they made a lot of these in the 80s where you're really not 
knowing what audience you're trying to play for and especially in the 80s you need to like this is still a heavy exploitation era and it's not exploitive enough it's not important enough it's not dramatic enough it's almost it's just nothing it's just kind of a bunch of ideas you cobbled together and you shot a movie around it and then it ultimately when it came on video and died and I'm sure everyone who ever rented it thought it was going to be a something break crazy fucking uh, even down like, to like the David Lynch references toward the end of the movie there's somebody in a fucking eraser head t-shirt popping around so I mean you can see where a lot of the influences of let's just shoot shit for the sake of shooting shit comes from yeah and uh, yeah it's just it's not my thing this is definitely like a one maybe a half it's just, it was an enjoyable experience for me it just kept going on and on and on I just did not give a fuck about it no boner from you no boners at all it inverted and sucked itself inside of me my dick is in my bladder I think that might be it for the show though we, we might oh, good. do some more of these we might do some more random fucking shit we've never seen before and no one's ever heard of before that we found on YouTube because that's one of my pastimes at this point in history looking for weird shit well I fucking died on the last episode and I'm still here so I'm assuming this is some form of purgatory I can't escape so we will continue trying Heading forward, always slouching toward Bethlehem, bringing films to the baby Jesus. Now one of these movies got above two stars, for Christ's sakes. I mean, if that I think I gave it a three. I think Mutant on the Bounty got a three for me. Yeah, I don't know why you gave it a three. It's not a three-star movie at all. Because it's got Paul from Friday 2 in it? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, might be, might be my reasoning. So we'll be back, as always. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. The ashtray is empty. The bottle is full. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.